0: Hi, everybody, this is Gary Sandy, and thank you very much for listening to the WKRP
1: cast. So just sit right down, relax, open your
0: ears real wide, and say,
1: Weather today in the greater Cincinnati area.
0: Are you awake? Whoa! Are you awake now? But the senator, while insisting he was not intoxicated, could not explain his nudity. Say
2: what? <laughs>
1: Dear God, she's going to kill us
2: all. Welcome to the WKRP cast. My name is Donna Stare.
3: And I'm her husband, Alan. This is a week-by-week, episode-by-episode rewatch. We're getting into the music,
2: the trivia, and the
3: fun of WKRP.
2: So, fellow babies, don't touch that dial. It's time for the WKRP cast. I'm
3: a
4: WKRP in Cincinnati.
3: Welcome back to the WKRP cast. We got a hardcore radio story today. Donna, what is our episode?
2: We are going to be talking about Baby, If You've Ever Wondered. The air date was the 3rd of December, 1979. Written by Bill Dial, story editors Dan Gunselman, Steve Marshall, Stephen Campman, and P.J. Tarakvi. Executive story consultant Blake Hunter, and it was directed by Rod Daniel.
3: Hold on a minute! I don't get to play the caloo-coo-coo-coo-coo-coo-coo.
2: No, not this time.
3: Oh man! Finally giving <laughs> Mackenzie a break. Well,
2: in this episode, when the station's ratings fail to improve to Andy's expectations, he wonders if he is really accomplishing anything with the screwy staff. How
3: did you catch our writer? This is it for Bill Dial. This is his last writing credit on a WKRP script. As we've heard talking to Janet Meshad wells this is about the time Bill and Hugh Wilson
2: have their epic blow-up. Both Janet and Tom Chihok heard the story right after it happened. Bill threw a whiskey glass at Hugh's head during a writer's meeting. What could he do? Hugh Wilson had to fire his lifelong friend, Bill Dial. As
3: far as we know, the two would never speak again. Bill will show up with one more WKRP producer credit in January of 1980 on the episode titled Put Up or Shut Up. That's only because of shooting order. Put Up actually shot right before this episode. This just
2: might be the script that caused the fight. Bill seems to be spreading his wings about this time with a vanity project. Bill wrote and directed a low-budget movie that shot in Raleigh, North Carolina, at some point in 1979. It was called Time of the Eagle, a film about the rise of the Fourth Reich in the 1970s.
3: Eagle sounds a little weird and all Bill. It's his only directing credit, and he goes by his full name, William Allen Dial, as both writer and director.
2: Eagle is a horror sci-fi story about a present-day college professor who had been a POW during World War II. He's kidnapped by Nazi war criminals who are hiding out in Brazil trying to rekindle the Third Reich.
3: This guy is prepared. Get ready for it. To be the host for the reincarnated soul of Adolf Hitler. Yeah, one of the only reviews I could find said it was kind of like a low budget, but not too bad, boys from Brazil. No prints of this movie seem to have survived, but amazingly, a copy of a video is posted on YouTube. Quality's not great, but if you're brave enough, we will post a link
2: in our show notes. We didn't recognize any of the cast except for Grace Zabriskie. Grace would make her Hollywood debut in Norma Ray later that year and go on to appear in over 80 movies. She also played Laura Palmer's mom in Twin Peaks.
3: The music for Eagle was provided by Tom Wells Doppler Studios. I reached out to Max Tosh and Janet Wells to see if they knew anything about Eagle. No one has ever heard of this movie.
2: Bill returned to Hollywood for the 1980 TV season where he worked as a producer on The Misadventures of Sheriff Lobo, starring Claude Akins.
3: Bill stayed consistently busy both as a writer and a producer through about 2000, even working as producer on the new WKRP in Cincinnati without any involvement from Hugh Wilson.
2: Bill Dial died in 2008 at the age of 64. Go ahead and
0: shoot, but you're going to have to answer to Engineers Local 601 if I don't get my lunch.
3: All right, let's get into the episode. We start off in Andy's office, and right there on the back wall behind Andy's desk, we see the promotional poster for Chuck Mangione's 1978 album, An Evening of Magic live at the Hollywood Bowl.
2: Chuck Mangione was a flugelhorn player.
3: This was a follow-up album to his mega-hit Feels So Good from the previous year, and it feels a little like a cash grab. He put out a huge hit album, then went out and performed all of those songs live. They recorded them, and now they're selling them to you again.
2: We see Andy sitting at his desk, and he's listening to Dr. Johnny Fever on the air.
0: (laughs) Strap yourselves down, babies, because you got the fever, Dr. Johnny Fever, on the mighty KRP in Cincinnati, where it's 9.05 in the morning. So if you're not already at work, don't go. You're late, and they'll just yell
2: at you. (laughs) We hear the song Rockin' My Life Away by Jerry Lee Lewis begin to play.
3: You asked me about this while we were working on the show, and I said, what? Never heard it. It came out in 1979 on an album titled Jerry Lee Lewis.
2: This was a much later album for Jerry. It was his 35th studio album. And
3: as you'd expect at this point in his career, the album was not a commercial success. It was long after Jerry's heyday. This one peaked at number 186 on the Top 200 album chart.
2: Andy gets up. He's pacing around a little. He turns the volume down on the monitor. He sits back down at his desk and he clasps his hands together. You can tell there's something heavy on his mind.
3: Jennifer comes to the door of Andy's office with news. Andy,
4: it's
2: here. Where is it?
4: It's on
1: Mr. Carlson's desk.
3: Andy walks out of the office, headed for Carlson's office. Jennifer keeps talking.
1: You know, he won't even open it. He just keeps sitting there staring at
2: So now we move into Carlson's office, and we see Carlson sitting at his desk. He's just staring at a package, drumming his fingers on the desk. Les and Herb are watching Mr. Carlson.
3: And now a special look at this episode's bandage placement for the five-time Buckeye NewsHawk Award winner, Les Nesman. This is the Les Nesman Bandage Report. Now here's Donna Stair with her report about Les Nesman.
2: Right hand, thumb.
3: This has been a look at the bandage placement for Silver Sow and Copper Cobb award-winning journalist Les Nessman. And they're standing right there together, which means... It's it's time! time. Herb Darling, fashion alert.
2: Herb is wearing shades of pink, blue, and tan jacket, a heavy pink-colored shirt with a shiny blue-striped tie... And what I call baby poop brown pants.
3: I think that's an apt description. I like yes. that one.
2: And he's also wearing white and brown two-toned shoes, no belts.
3: This jacket is the star of this fashion alert. You've got <laughs> to check out Herb's jacket. So Art has his pocket knife out, and it looks like he's going to cut the strings on the package, but he just can't do
2: it. Bailey comes into the office and sees them all staring at the package on Carlson's desk. Is that a bomb?
3: (laughs) No,
5: it's worse than a bomb. It's the book.
1: Oh. The Arbitron book. I know less. It's the ratings.
4: I
3: know less.
1: Our fate
5: packaged in a plain brown wrapper
3: (laughs) the three now continue to stare at the package when andy finally comes in from behind them and it's taken andy a long time to walk through the station he has to say excuse me twice before they'll even move to let him through excuse me may i get through here please excuse me carlson can't bring himself to open the package he puts the knife down, and even pushes it away.
2: Andy asks Carlson if he's ever going to open it.
3: Andy, I can't. I just can't.
2: Andy grabs the knife and cuts the string. Andy shoos Les, Herb, and Bailey out of the office.
1: What can we do? Boil water, Herb, and lots of it.
3: Art has taken the book out of the box and laid it on his desk. Andy reaches for it. Art very quickly puts his finger right on the book to hold it down. Andy lifts his hand off the book, sets his finger over to the side on the desk. Art covers his eyes with one hand. And he begins drumming his fingers on the desk with the other as Andy opens the book. Here goes.
2: The 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 book. book. The book is the Arbitron book. Arbitron is an audience measurement company that was founded in 1949 as the American Research Bureau. That's where the A.R.B. comes from in the name. Arbitron started out
3: measuring only the very new medium of TV. By the 1960s, they'd transitioned into measuring both radio and local TV audiences. They continued to measure both until 1992. After 92, Arbitron just gave up on TV and went to radio only.
2: A.C. Nielsen measured both local and national TV audiences.
3: In the late 1970s, even though they also measured TV, Arbitron was known as the radio measurement company and Nielsen was considered the TV measurement company.
2: The station had to subscribe to the Arbitron service in order to get the book and to be able to use it as a sales tool.
3: And as Andy continues to peruse the book, we head into our theme WKRP
4: in Cincinnati.
2: Coming back, we are now in the lobby. Bailey and Herb are in the lobby, and Bailey is sitting in a chair flipping through magazines while Herb has himself plastered against the door <laughs> to Carlson's office. <laughs>
3: Herb's doing some great physical comedy up against that door. So Les is pacing around and around Jennifer's desk, and Jennifer is staring at him. Les,
2: you're making me dizzy. Bailey asks if it's always like this. Yes, twice a year. Oh, I just think there is too much emphasis on ratings in this business. It's easy for you to say.
5: You don't have to go out there and try to sell time with a bad book. I mean, all you All you got going for yourself is wit and charm, and sometimes that's not enough.
3: Now, this caused us to discuss something here. The book comes out twice a year, every six months. Bailey has never experienced a book, and also, this is Andy's first book. So we're looking at a period here that is less than six months since both of these guys started. So
2: Bailey must have been hired there just before Andy, I guess.
3: And, you know, when we consider we've looked at now a season and a half of shows, pretty much, but each show covers just a couple of days. So if we're only looking at a few months in there, it's possible that's all we've seen so far.
2: Johnny enters the lobby and he asks if the book has come in yet.
3: What's, What's going on? What's the word? Hi, John. Hi. What's happening? What's the word? It's a boy. <laughs> this is a callback to that Andy saying boil water, but wow, that right. didn't that didn't land at all.
2: It didn't, yeah, didn't quite make it. That that was a joke. I made a joke. Oh. <laughs>
3: so Herb has his ear pressed to Art's office door. He thinks he can hear pages turning. Wait,
5: hold, hold it. Somebody just moaned. <laughs> Sounds like the big guy.
3: Les starts freaking out. Johnny tells him to take it easy. Take it easy, yeah. All our jobs are on the line here.
1: Mine's
2: not. <laughs> Johnny tells all of them that his job isn't on the line either. Holding the coffee pitcher in one hand and his coffee mug in the other, he continues. I'll
0: tell you something. You've been around the radio game as long as I have. You learn to live with your ratings. You don't get nervous about something like this.
2: <laughs> he then raises the coffee pitcher to his <laughs> mouth and starts to take a sip then realizes what he's just done, and he pours some coffee into his mug. I don't know why
3: he thinks he's safe.
2: I, I don't know. His job does kind of depend Yeah, on
3: if it. the morning numbers are down, he's potentially in trouble. So Les tells them all it's a bad book. He just has a feeling.
1: Mr. Carlson's mother's going to come up here and fire us all. Washington
2: Post, here I come.
3: So this his backup plan It's the Washington Post Yes,
2: and Jennifer's getting a kick out of that
3: Yeah, she covers her mouth laughing quietly
2: Herb is bent over, ear to the keyhole Of Carlson's door When the door opens And Andy and Carlson come out Herb's frozen for a second, and then he begins wiping the door jam as if there was dust or something on it. (laughs) That's a
3: great great position he has got in. Sandy and Art are standing there. Everyone's looking at them, anxiously waiting for them to say something. Herb is the first to speak up. Well? Art tells him. It's a very good book. Well, at least in Art's opinion, it was a good book. They all exhale with relief.
1: Well, it's not a bad book. I still have to study it. it. Appears to be some rough spots, but... We've picked up some. Herb
2: is so excited, and he runs around to everyone.
1: We've picked
2: up some. Did you hear that? We've picked up some. That's what his words exactly.
5: We've picked up some. John, did you hear that? We've picked up some. And he just said, we've picked up some. We've picked her. up some. John.
2: <laughs> Johnny slaps him to bring him back to Earth.
5: Thank you, Doctor.
2: And then as Herb turns, Les slaps him on the face. <laughs> This was such a great gag. It was so unexpected. <laughs> and a
3: great heightening of the joke. I mean, it was funny when Johnny slapped Herb. It was a it was a chuckle chuckle. But when Herb turns around and then Les slaps him, it's hilarious. Oh,
2: it was great. And Herb glares at Les and Jennifer once again is holding in her <laughs> laughter.
3: So Johnny asks Andy about the results for Morning Drive. Andy says it's up and congratulates him. Substantial gain. Johnny smiles, looking pretty proud. But he doesn't want to, you know, sound too much like he's really hung up on the ratings. i tell you something,
0: too, frankly. I I think this whole ratings business is just a bunch of jive nonsense.
3: He tells everybody he'd better get back to the booth. And once he's out of sight... (laughs) Les walks over to
2: Travis. What about the really important
1: stuff? You mean the hog reports? Yes, of course. And my news and sports programs.
2: Travis tells Les that he is okay. Okay? Where I come from, okay means awful. This is terrible! Andy changes the wording a little. It's better
5: than okay, it's, um, all right.
2: (laughs) All right? All right! Did you hear that, everybody? It's all right. (laughs) Les begins shaking hands with the others and he's jumping up and down excitedly.
3: This is fun talking about Les's news, getting a rating. But the reality is the way they measure radio is just in 15 minute blocks. They call them quarter hours and it's just your average for a quarter hour. Whatever is going on in that 15 minutes is what's getting rated. So it really doesn't break out news, but it's kind of fun to mess with Les. I
2: bet Les could have a 15-minute hog report. He very
3: well might, and there may (laughs) be a morning report that you know. sometimes those commodity reports can last a half an hour, so maybe something like that's getting rated. So Art's ready to celebrate.
1: we will send out for some champagne, because we are going to have ourselves a party here this afternoon. What do you think, Travis?
3: Travis, not quite as enthusiastic, but you know, Andy's got a lot more radio experience. He's not sure it's really a champagne book. Art disagrees Greece. this
1: book represents the first time in seven years the wkrp's ratings have gone up
3: instead of down and he heads into the office he says he's going to call mama he also tells bailey he wants a news release on this and he tells jennifer call out get some champagne what about less herb oh yeah less
1: herb get out of the lobby <laughs> <laughs>
2: Before leaving, Herb grabs the ratings book from Les, and they both head back to the bullpen.
1: Herb, I want to see my ratings.
2: Herb! Don't ever
3: hit me again, Les. <laughs> call back to the slap. <laughs> so Jennifer looks over at Andy, and you can tell she's picking up on the fact that Andy's not super thrilled.
2: Congratulations, Andy.
3: He says, thank you. It
2: is an improvement, isn't it?
3: Yeah. 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 Looking somewhat distressed, Andy leaves the lobby.
2: Now we're in the bullpen. You see a red book on Herb's desk, and it is titled Modern Applied Salesmanship. Herb seems to have a pretty solid collection of books about sales, but I don't think he's reading any of them.
3: This is another actual sales book. It was written by Alan L. Reed and published on New Year's Day of 1975.
2: And if you'd like your very own copy, you can find it on eBay for $13. It might have some highlighting and spine damage.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Somebody other than Herb was using that book. (laughs) So Liz is at Herb's desk asking to see the Arbitron book. Herb tells him to wait his turn. Bailey is using the only typewriter in the bullpen, which is on Les's desk. Les looks over Herb's shoulder. That
5: can't be right. Of course it's right. Computers don't make mistakes. It says here my audience share of men, 65 and over, went down six points. Let's face it, Les. Your audience is dying off.
2: (laughs) Les argues that they're not dying off. They're just tuning out because of that rock and roll music that the station now plays. Which
1: is not music at all, but simply one group after another of drug addicts trying to make as much noise as possible.
2: Am I right, Bailey? Does that include Debbie Boone?
1: Yes. No. Who?
3: (laughs) Hold on a minute there. We mentioned Debbie Boone. Debbie Boone was the daughter of singer... Boone. She was born in 1956.
2: She had one top 40 hit her entire career, but that was enough. 1977's You Light Up My Life spent 10 weeks at number one on the U.S. Hot 100. You-
3: This wasn't just a big hit. Ten weeks at number one was longer than any song in the history of the Hot 100 to that point.
2: She was known as a goody-goody wholesome girl, but how could she not, being the daughter of Pat Boone? Bailey asks Les and Herb to listen to the news release that she typed up for Mr. Carlson. She reads the announcement about the greatly improved ratings. Arthur Carlson, general manager of WKRP, announced today that his station received greatly
4: improved ratings during the last rating period. <clears throat> Johnny Fever, Morning Man, and Venus Flytrap, the early evening DJ, had the brightest overall gain and
2: According to Mr. Carlson, deserve the credit for the station's increase.
3: Les and Herb are not happy. Bailey didn't mention news or anything about sales in that press release. Herb takes the announcement from Bailey. Andy enters the bullpen unnoticed. And Herb tells Bailey this is the way it should read. Arthur Carlson, general manager.
5: And Herb Tarley Jr., Executive General Sales Manager of WKRP,
2: (laughs) issued a joint...
3: Andy stops him and asks for the copy.
2: Andy looks at what Bailey had typed up and tells her it's good and to get it mailed out. Herb tells Andy he thinks the Arbitron numbers justify a rate increase.
5: I'm thinking about a 5% hike right across the board, okay? Take my uh, regular 7.5% commission minus the big guy's... 10% leaves us a grand total of...
3: Which brings us to... The line of the episode.
5: Oh yeah, we're definitely talking Cordoba. (laughs) What? Cordoba for me.
3: The Cordoba.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Andy tells Herb to give him a ride in it sometime.
3: The Chrysler Cordoba, although quite famous, wasn't all that fancy a car. It was actually a Chrysler Newport with a coat of gold paint and an Aztec-looking hood ornament. The
2: Cordoba was sold by Chrysler in North America from 1975 to 1983.
3: Chrysler famously secured Fantasy Island star Ricardo Montalbán as the car's spokesman.
0: I know my own needs and what I need from an automobile, I know I get from this new Cordoba. I could ask for nothing beyond the quality of Cordoba's workmanship, the tastefulness of its appearance. I request nothing beyond the thickly cushioned luxury of seats available even in soft Corinthian leather.
2: The big joke about the Cordoba was the high-end upholstery option. high
5: Corinthian leather, reclining bucket seats. Oh. Bucket
2: seats could be upholstered in fine, rich
3: Corinthian leather. There's no such thing as Corinthian leather. The term was made up by Bozell Advertising. It's the name they gave to what was basically junk leather from New Jersey. It was pressed out of scraps and mixed with vinyl to be used in certain Chrysler vehicles.
2: Most of the seat panels in a Cordoba were vinyl. Places you touched would include some mixed-in real leather, but there was nothing upscale about Corinthian Leather.
3: The term Corinthian was chosen for the name because a reference book said it meant rich desirability.
2: Many years after his run as spokesperson, Montalban admitted on David Letterman that the name means nothing.
0: Corinthian Leather, is that anything? It's it's just, it's just, it's some kind of vinyl they make in Detroit, (laughs) isn't it? No, they found they found a the leather that was very pliable, very soft, and very durable. And, uh, and I don't know whether it was because of uh, the, the writer Jim Nichols, who wrote the commercials for Chrysler for me at that time. Found he wanted to find a, a word that sounded sort of elegant that mm-hmm. I could say with a little verb, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, so Corinthian oh, yeah. Seemed, you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> but, but does it mean uh, anything? N- n- nothing. Yeah. <laughs> it's not that.
3: Well, what does, you know, what does David Letterman mean? You know, well, <laughs> These days, the Doba, as it's known to its fans, maintains a fairly loyal owner base, and some models are even considered collectible. Cordoba for me.
2: <laughs> Venus enters the bullpen. He looks at Andy and says...
3: "Well."
0: You did good.
5: (gasps) Thank you, Lord. Thank you.
2: Venus falls to his knees at Bailey's desk. He's got his head in his hands. He grabs Bailey's hand and starts kissing it.
3: Bailey's on board with his joke up to a point.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Get up, Venus.
3: (laughs) So Venus asks Andy how they did overall. You're no longer
5: working for the 16th station and 18 station market. Yeah? No, sirree. You're working for the (laughs) 14th.
3: a two-spot move. Andy leaves the bullpen.
2: Venus asks to see his numbers. Herb still has the book. Well, Les jumps up and tells Venus he gets to see the book next. He grabs the book from Herb's desk. Herb tries to take the book from Les, and they begin a tug-of-war with the book. This is kind of a running joke with the two of them playing tug-of-war with things. Venus positions himself between them and gives them both a stern look. Another great visual gag. They both immediately let go of the book and hand it to Venus. The alpha in this group is pretty obvious.
3: We move now to Andy's office, the programming office. And I have this thing. I proofread every word that I ever see. And I noticed that the word programming on Andy's door is spelled wrong. It should have two M's in it, not one. They lost an M in the move from KTLA. I looked back at season one. You can clearly see two M's on the door of Andy's office. Also, the letters from the old set were bigger, and the glass in the window was frosted white instead of it's kind of got a pink hue to it now.
2: Andy walks into his office, and we hear the end of Get It Right Next Time by Jerry Rafferty. It's playing on the monitor. Andy walks
3: over to his desk, picks up a pen. He's not happy. He throws it across the room. Bailey walks in as Andy angrily swipes his arm across his desk, pushing everything onto the floor. Andy turns to see Bailey standing in the doorway, looking a little shocked.
2: Nothing. (laughs) Andy was having a little temper tantrum there. Now, Before WKRP, Gary was playing heavies and villains on daytime soap operas. You really get a feel for the menace he could portray with this outburst aw shucks easygoing Andy it has a temper
3: that song we heard when we first walked into his office get it right next time is from the Jerry Rafferty album Night Owl it was released in 1979 by the Scotland born singer songwriter
2: get it right next time hit number 21 on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 chart in August of 1979
3: this would be Rafferty's last top 40 hit
2: I was talking
1: to a
4: man He said so much nice, But there's love of mine That I don't understand You shouldn't worry I said that ain't no crime Cause if you get it wrong You'll get it right next
2: time, next time. We hear a station liner WKRP And then right into the next song Goodbye Stranger by Supertrane.
3: It peaked at number 15 on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 in July of 1979.
2: It was an early
1: morning yesterday I was up before the dawn And I really have enjoyed my stay But I must be moving on
2: Like a king without a castle Like a queen without a throne
3: this was their fourth top 40 hit goodbye stranger was written by rick davies founder of Supertramp and the group's only consistent member davies wrote most of the group's biggest hits
2: goodbye stranger first appeared on their sixth studio album breakfast in america in 1979 now we go to Carlson's office.
1: Meadow, windy, windy,
2: <laughs> Carlson is shining one of his fishing trophies as he sings Three Little Fishes. Three
3: Little Fishes is a 1939 song with words by Josephine Karinger and Bernice Idens, music by Saxie Dowell.
2: The song tells the story of three fishes who defy their mother's command of swimming only in a little meadow pool, by swimming over a dam and on out to sea. They encounter a shark, which the fish describe as a whale. They flee for their lives and return to the safety of the meadow pool.
3: The song's catchy, bouncy chorus made it a number one hit for Kate Kaiser in 1939. Down in the meadow in the itty-pitty pool Swam the three little fishes
2: and the mama fishes too the you can and the swim, swim swim right over the dam. Other artists have recorded the song such as Spike Jones and his City Slickers in 1953,
3: Buzz Clifford in 1961, The Andrews Sisters 1963, and Ray Stevens just fairly recently in 2012. It
2: was used in TV shows like Here's Lucy,
3: Three's Company,
2: and The Muppet Show as well as several others.
3: Art is hyped. He clicks his heels together just as Jennifer enters the office. She's come into his office to give him his new fishing magazines. And this is the model ships and planes catalog that you sent away for. Art's ready to dig into something more businesslike.
2: Yeah, the
1: heck with that stuff. I want to do some real radio business. Now, what have you got for me?
2: Nothing. Carlson tells Jennifer. That I
1: should read that book again. Study those figures.
2: Jennifer says Andy has the book. Well, he plans to look at it when Andy's finished.
4: Did you call your mother? <laughs> out of the
1: country. When you're hot, you're hot. I'm on a roll, Jennifer.
3: Out of the country.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Time to celebrate even more. Yeah,
3: when you're on a roll, you're on a roll. <laughs> so Jennifer starts to leave, but Art stops her and says he wants to talk. I've got something I want to show you. <laughs> this is kind of a loaded statement, but Jennifer decides she's game and says, OK.
2: Well, it's Carlson. You yeah, know yeah, What could it gonna... be? He excitedly runs over to his desk and starts pulling things out of his bottom desk drawer. He pulls out all sorts of toys and puts them on his desk. The ball and hoop that we've seen in past episodes and a little wind up looks like a jumping frog or maybe a fish. Finally, he finds what he was looking for. Blueprints. He unrolls plans for the Arthur Carlson Building, home of WKRP.
3: Jennifer looks at the plans. She points out his office. Then she finds her office.
2: What's this little area over here?
3: Oh, well, that that's a, a little place where I can go and nobody knows where I am.
2: <laughs> a think
0: tank.
3: A think tank. Yeah, that's what it is. Not, not a hiding place. It's a think tank.
2: Carlson explains that he had these plans drawn up several years ago. He would like to get some land out by the expressway and have a place of their very own. He's thinking maybe in a year or two. Andy walks into the office. Carlson quickly picks up the plans and he begins rolling them up. (laughs) Now, these are some pretty big plans and it takes him some time to roll them up. He finishes and holds the tube of rolled paper behind his back as he turns to face Travis.
3: It took a long time and you can really (laughs) see it. He's not hiding anything from anybody. Travis is high, and Art begins to stammer, trying to explain what was going on. Uh, we were
1: just, uh, well, you know, uh, uh, looking. Uh, we were looking at... Uh...
3: Dirty pictures. <laughs> Jennifer steps in and shuts things down with the dirty pictures comment. So she leaves, and Art tells Travis... They were actually looking at architectural drawings.
1: I don't show them around. They're, they're private. Okay. Maybe this once. That's okay, I understand. I could make an exception. It's not necessary. Look at these. Okay.
2: Andy gets a serious look on his face when he sees what they are. Carlson tells him, well, maybe not tomorrow, but in a year or two. Wait, well, what, Andy? We're on the go now, huh?
1: These books
5: have a lot of figures in them. And it takes hours to determine what the numbers are really mean
2: Carlson tells Andy that he plans to look at the books very carefully giving it his complete and thorough attention
5: yeah you do that yeah.
3: then we'll talk I get the feeling Art's just really dying to show those plans off to anybody that'll look I think
2: he's putting the cart before the horse yeah
3: so Art asks Andy if he's okay
1: Got an we'll go take a couple of aspirin that champagne's on its way we're gonna have a big party here my boy
3: Andy tells Art read that book, and leaves the office.
2: Carlson begins flipping through the Arbitron book, but he keeps getting distracted by the plans that are still spread out on his desk. He
3: really likes those (laughs) blueprints. We cut to the hallway outside of the studio. If you look down through the door at the end of the hall, you see a big poster for George Benson.
2: This is the promo poster for George Benson's album. George Benson Weekend in LA.
3: This was a live 1978 album by Benson recorded, surprise, surprise, over a weekend in LA.
2: You probably know Benson's cover of the Drifters song On Broadway, which came from this album. It hit number seven on the Hot 100 in
4: 1978.
3: Hugh Wilson said he was being deluged with stuff from record companies about this time. And it looks like he's really using it because just inside the door to the right side of the hall, we see a stand-up cardboard cutout from the Super Tramp album, Breakfast in America. Super Tramp obviously going for the full KRP promo package.
2: is a 3D expansion of the famous Breakfast album cover. We get a full-length look at Libby, the diner waitress. The woman who played Libby for the photo shoot is an actress named Kate Murtaugh.
3: In addition to having a good diner waitress look... Kate was very tall. She stood about 6'1 in heels.
2: She's holding a glass of orange juice on a serving tray in her right raised hand and the album Breakfast in America in her left hand. She's looking all the world like a diner version of the Statue of Liberty, which explains her character's name, Libby.
3: The city of New York behind her is created from kitchen items. The skyline is made up of salt and pepper shakers, a stack of plates, ketchup bottles, a milk carton, egg carton. You see a mustard squirt bottle, stacked coffee cups, a syrup bottle. It's a really fun album cover to go through and pick those things out. The
2: plate of breakfast foods sitting prominently in the forefront of the picture represents Battery Park. On the back of this album is a photo of the band members having breakfast at a
3: diner called Burt's Madhouse in Hollywood. Each of the band members is reading their own hometown newspaper.
2: How cool is this album cover? It won the 1980 Grammy for Best Record Package. So
3: as we're looking down the hallway, Johnny seems to be hiding in the production room. He peeks out of the production booth door, looks both ways up and down the hall. He sees nobody and comes on out just as Venus comes around the corner and yells to him. Hey,
0: Doctor! Uh, Venus. What's happening? <laughs> are you up, man? Yeah, I am up. Uh, I'm up, too. Yeah, you're not as up as I am. What do
3: you mean? I'm way more up than you, man. Oh, even as we speak, I am
0: climbing. I'm already there. Nobody is that high, man. <laughs> you seen my numbers? Did you see my numbers? <laughs> my huh? numbers are way up, man. Yeah, congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> you, too.
3: <laughs> they slap each other's Hands and Venus even does a little tickle move on Johnny's palms. We've got a theory about Johnny coming out of the production room. This looks like another one of Hugh Wilson and Howard Hesman's references to Johnny Fever as America's first primetime pothead. Think about Johnny sneaking a few tokes in the booth. In that light, his conversation with Venus has a double meaning.
0: Are you up, man? Yeah, I am up. Uh, I'm up,
3: too. (laughs) Yeah, you're not as up as
0: I am. What do you mean? I'm way more up than you, man. (laughs) Even as we speak, I am climbing. I'm already there.
2: Behind Venus, we see another promo poster from Randy Newman's Born Again album, and this one is huge. We saw a different poster of Randy promoting the same album in the studio in the very first scene Of Lover Money Part 1. Born Again was a commercial failure, but they sure were pushing it on WKRP.
3: Now Bailey comes around the corner walking towards them. Hey,
5: Bailey. What's happening? Say hello to two of the top class world hot DJs.
2: (laughs) Uh, Hi. (laughs) Now.
3: Venus and Johnny both strike a pose, looking looking cool. that was so funny. Yeah, Bailey is not impressed.
2: Bailey tells them that she knows they both did well with their ratings, but she asks them if the ratings were good overall. We went from
0: 16 to
3: 14. Now, here's the thing. It's really not that good. Stations at the bottom of the ratings list change order all the time. You only really see ratings battles and jockeying for position in the top three or five stations in a market.
2: Johnny asks if Andy is feeling bad about the book, and Bailey tells him, yeah, she thinks he is. Johnny says that maybe they should skip this little party just as Carlson rushes around the corner <laughs> carrying a bottle of champagne. Come on, everybody. Let's go, go, go. <laughs> you know, I think this
3: is one of the happiest days of my life. I see why he's excited. The first book in seven years where they went up instead of down. So and he's happy.
2: He doesn't really understand the book in the no. first place. No,
3: he doesn't get it. He's just excited that there was some positive movement. So... Art puts his arm around Johnny and says he wants to talk to him. Now, Art begins to walk Johnny back down the hall, away from us, towards the lobby, chatting him up. They go through the door and disappear.
2: Venus looks at Bailey and sees how concerned she is about Andy.
3: I'll go
0: talk to him. He's still in his office? Uh
2: Uh-huh. Now, we notice some new architecture weirdness going on here. Venus leaves frame to the left. He's going down a hallway that we've never seen used before.
3: So Bailey starts walking back towards the lobby, and then she passes Art, who's now coming back up the hall towards us. Fever!
1: Did
3: you see Fever? No he was with me just a second ago. If you ever gave him the slip. It, somehow, we, <laughs> we see Art coming towards the camera, then he takes that same right that we saw Venus do and goes down the hallway where Venus was just headed. This seems to lead to Andy's office, but it's added a whole new hallway to our understanding of the station.
2: It just doesn't make sense. It
3: just keeps going and going, and the flim building keeps getting bigger and bigger. <laughs>
2: It must have been the long way around. I guess. Well, we're now back in Andy's office. Andy is picking the things up off of the floor when Venus walks in. Venus asks if he's coming to the party, and he tells him that everyone is really excited.
3: Finally, Andy says what's on his mind. He tells Venus it's not a great book. Don't run it for him, all right, Andy? It's not a great book. <laughs> That's right, it's not. Andy tells him the format change alone. Just changing the music you're playing is going to make a move from 16 to 14.
2: Andy asks Venus if he has any idea how screwed up this station is. Yep. Andy asks Venus why he stays.
0: I like it here, man, and so do you.
5: Every place I've gone to before, I've been able to get results. I want you to know I had a perfect record before KRP.
2: Venus asks him if the fact that he's not perfect is bothering him. Yeah.
3: All right, that's what's bothering me. And we got to figure, if we're talking about Andy's character being based on Captain Mikey Harrington, perfect for him is going into a market, getting a station to number one, and then leaving town. And he has not done all those things with WKRP, so that's why he feels like he's really failed. So Venus asks him, how could he have fixed this station? Well... Andy tells Venus the first thing he should have done is get rid of her. Worst sales manager in the world. The worst. And less? Oh less.
5: <laughs> when the Shah of Iran was overthrown, he missed it completely.
4: <laughs>
5: His lead story for the day was about a hog that could do addition and subtraction.
2: <laughs> the Shah of Iran's real name, Muhammad Reza. Pahlavi.
3: He was the last Shah or King of Iran.
2: He ruled from September 1941 to February 11, 1979. The
3: revolution that put the Ayatollah Khomeini in power in Iran is what toppled the Shah's reign.
2: And we also had to check this out. (laughs) Is there really a hog that can do addition and subtraction?
3: The short answer, no. Not that we could find. Some animals are known to be pretty good at math, but hogs are not on any of those lists.
2: Chimpanzees seem to be good at math, but they aren't the best at it.
3: Gorillas, monkeys, lemurs, dolphins, elephants, birds, salamanders, and fish have also been identified at being mathematically inclined.
2: Recently, black bears were added to the list.
3: The absolute math wizards of the animal kingdom, according to scientists who study this stuff, are the giant ants of the Tunisian desert. In addition to counting their steps quite accurately... These ants also regularly use geometry to plot their movements so they can get back home by the shortest route possible. They
2: have six legs and they're counting their steps. Wow.
3: Yeah, and they've done. I've I read a bunch of really interesting experiments that they have done with these things. And they try to mess them up. They'll they'll scoot them on the sand, or they'll move them around where they don't walk. They still can account for the changes in movement, and they don't know how they do it.
2: Andy continues listing the problems with the station.
1: Jennifer is the highest paid employee at this station. And Fever,
0: I let him program his own show. I keep telling him we should play the same top ten hits over and over again. I ask him to play just one disco song. Please, just one disco song.
1: And he threatens to throw himself in front of Donna Summer's tour bus.
2: Andy tells Venus that he let himself get too close to them, become friends with them. You can't
5: do my job and be pals with everybody.
3: Andy mentioned Donna Summer, the queen of disco. You've heard of Donna Summer. I'm sure she had a huge string of hits like Love to Love You, Baby. baby.
2: Enough is enough.
3: Last Dance.
4: dance.
2: Bad Girls. girls.
3: And on the radio... Among many others, Donna had a total of 42 hit singles.
2: Her real name is LaDonna Adrian Gaines. She was born on New Year's Eve of 1948 in Boston, Massachusetts. She died in 2012 at the age of 63. From lung cancer.
3: Donna Summer had at least one top forty hit every year between nineteen seventy-five and nineteen eighty-four. She sold more than a hundred million records during her lifetime.
2: Miss Summer would have been on her bad girls tour in nineteen seventy-nine, so Johnny could have thrown himself in front of her tour bus. <laughs>
3: Venus tells Andy he has another reason why he couldn't fire everyone. I mean, if you fire them for not doing their job, you know what would be the next guy you have to fire around here? Huh? (laughs) The big guy. Andy tells him Carlson's the station manager. He's the one that hired him. It's his station, and it's a family affair, so there's no way Andy could fire the big guy.
0: Well, if you couldn't fire the big guy, then you can't fire the little guys. So it would appear, Mr. Perfect Radio
5: Executive, you are trapped in a very imperfect radio station.
2: Andy tells Venus that the word trapped is a very good description.
5: Which is a very good reason why I ought to just get out of here.
2: Venus tells him that he's not going anywhere, and he knows it.
5: You gave up an opportunity to be Boy Wonder of American Radio, to be the head guard of a nut farm.
2: Andy says that is ridiculous. Venus tells him to think about it. Andy tells Venus that he does like it here at KRP, and... He admits that he likes it better than any other place he's worked.
1: Let me ask you a question. Mm -hmm. Am I the guard or one of the nuts?
4: (laughs) I think
5: you're a guard on the way to becoming a nut.
3: (laughs) This is a pretty heavy conversation, and it does go on for a while. But it goes to the heart of explaining why a hotshot, well-known programming star like Andy Travis would stay with an underperforming loser like WKRP. And he was based on boss format program director Captain Mikey Harrington, Harrington created winners, moved on, and made more. He never stayed in any one place for long. We really need this explanation in order to understand why Andy stays at this place for as long as he does.
2: Carlson comes into Andy's office, carrying the bottle of champagne, and tells them to come on. The champagne is beginning to flow. Venus tells them that they'll be there in just a minute. Right
1: now, it's the big guy speaking. <laughs>
2: And as he says this, the cork pops out of the bottle of champagne that he's holding and then falls right down in front of the camera.
3: In the camera shot. That mm-hmm. was some amazing work on his part To <laughs> if he was directing that cork. So Andy asks Venus how this happened to him. How'd he end up here? Uh, Venus tells him he doesn't know, then asks if he had any friends at the other stations where he's worked. No, not really.
5: <laughs> well, then that's how you got here. Well, you got to give me credit for one thing, though. What's that?
1: I hired you. That's when you were still perfect. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> Laughing, Andy tells him that they should go on to the party. They both stand up to leave. Hey, Andy. Uh,
5: you know, there was something, man, I've been wanting to do for a long time.
2: <laughs> <What>? <laughs> Can I do it tonight? Andy tells him, sure. <laughs> Doesn't say why not. Venus says, okay, thanks. And he puts both of his hands on Andy's head, mussing up his hair like crazy. Yeah! <laughs> Isn't this something
3: them. we've all wanted to do? <laughs> yeah.
2: Haven't we all wanted to do this? Both of them are cracking up, but Andy might not be enjoying this as much as he's putting on. I
4: feel better about
0: that now, Andy. Oh, yeah. yeah. How you feel? I feel good. Okay. <laughs> oh, wait a minute, baby.
3: Yeah? Yeah, Andy's trying to look like, oh, yeah, that was funny. I really thought that was funny, but he didn't. Hey, you do that
0: again, i will break your leg. I'll keep that in mind. You do that <laughs> WKRP in Cincinnati will be back
3: after this.
2: And they shut the lights off and they leave Andy's office.
3: We head into the bullpen where we have a shout factory substitution. If you had been watching this episode in 1979, you'd have heard a young and rising superstar by the name of Michael Jackson doing Don't Stop Till You Get Enough in the background of the party. (laughs)
2: Based on Epic Records, July 10th of 1979, the song is the first track on Jackson's fifth studio album, Off the Wall.
3: Don't Stop Till You Get Enough was Jackson's second single to hit number one on the Billboard Hot 100 chart. His first solo number one was Ben from back in 1972.
2: The song and album also won Jackson his first Grammy Award and his first three American Music Awards in 1980. Jackson would go on to win a record 26 AMAs.
3: Jackson is one of the biggest selling artists in history. It is estimated he has sold a total of more than 350 million records.
2: That's a lot of vinyl. On the Shout Factory discs, they've replaced Michael with something generic, but we can't make out any details. There must have been original footage of this scene without any background music because it sounds like we're getting the real voices of the actors. They've put in new background music, but we aren't hearing those annoying dubbed voices the way we were in the final scene of Patter of Little Feet.
3: Everyone's in a bullpen and the champagne is flowing. Jennifer hands a glass to her. Here. Oh, thanks, baby.
1: Take that to Venus in the booth. I'm Anything in
3: your little heart desires, gorgeous.
2: Then wait in the booth for further instructions.
3: <laughs> 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 Jennifer decides to cash in on that offer.
2: Carlson is at Bailey's desk with his blueprints of his building. Bailey is pointing and asking him about things. Johnny and Andy are sitting at the DJ's desk.
3: That's when I started changing my name. see? bad book, no name. <laughs> So Art comes over and asks Andy if he's having a good time and uh, how is his headache. Andy says the headache's gone. Art asks Andy to stand up.
1: I would like to propose a toast to the man who's done it all. Now, wait a minute. I didn't do all
3: this. Everyone says he sure did. Andy not really wanting to take full credit for this.
1: (laughs) No, I have help from you all. Uh, No, you're responsible. I am not (laughs) responsible for this.
3: The picture fades as everybody continues celebrating and congratulating Andy on the fantastic book.
2: I am not responsible. I'm not responsible (laughs) for this.
3: That is it for Baby. If you've ever wondered, what's up for next week. Week, Donna.
2: Next week is Bailey's big break. Les is forced to hire another newsman to relieve him. Of some of his broadcasts, a protesting list doesn't want anyone, especially when Andy thinks it should be Bailey.
3: That's going to do it for this episode of the WKRP cast. If you'd like to watch along with us, make sure to check our show notes and find us on social media. Follow our Facebook page at WKRP cast.
2: Got a question, comment or correction? Let us know about it. Write us, WKRPcast at gmail.com.
3: And remember to please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening. Bye. May the good news be yours. WKRP Cast is not endorsed by MTM Enterprises, Shout Factory, or CBS. This podcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. WKRP in Cincinnati, the WKRP logo, and all names, pictures, and audio of WKRP in Cincinnati characters are registered trademarks of MTM, CBS, Shout Factory, or their respective copyright holders.
0: Most forgot, fellow babies. <laughs> Booger! Booger! <laughs>